Hello, everyone, and welcome to David and Jeff's Survivor Podcast. I'm David, and with me, as always, is... Jeff. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm great. How are you today, David? I'm doing fantastic. Another great episode of Survivor. I'm really liking where this season is heading. Definitely. And this this episode really threw me for a loop. I thought after the first ten minutes, I was so convinced that either Calabau or Tam Dang would go to the would go to tribal council because they showed us a huge, you know, huge strategy from both of them. And then they just completely, you know, hit me from the other side. It was great. Yeah, I came in to the episode not knowing for, or the immunity challenge, not knowing for sure who would lose. I thought in the beginning of the episode, the previously on, usually they only show stuff that relates to the, to the show and they were showing a lot of the, other two tribes besides Matt Singh. I was like, oh, maybe one of them is actually going to tribal council. And then when it got to the immunity challenge, I pretty much ruled out Calabal, and I thought it was between Matt Singh and Tandang. Um, but I was leaning towards Tandang, but then Matt Singh lost again. Right. <laughs> and, I thought they both had some great strategical moments. I, I agree with you. I was leaning towards Tandang simply because there were still people from uh, Calabau that we hadn't heard from. Yeah. Um, but still, I mean, we saw there's... them saying, you know, we think Penner has the idol, but other than that, there wasn't a whole lot of strategy going on. I mean, there was strategy after the challenge when we saw, you know, the Penner and Jeff dynamics. Right. A great episode. I'm looking forward to next week. I want to see how long they keep the three tribes. It's keeping my interest. You know, David, I, I have uh, I have the results of our confessional game now. Oh boy, here we come. I think yes. I lost again. Well, for most confessionals, last week you said RC. I did. And I pondered for a while over Jonathan and Jeff, but I actually ended up selecting Jonathan. Oh, then I did so, win. Uh, so you actually got that point. RC had two confessionals. Jonathan only had one. Had I selected Jeff, however... He had five confessionals. Yeah. So that was a mistake on my part. Uh, um, I thought you'd pick Jeff. I, I was I was wrong there. <laughs> right. right. I, I should have picked Jeff now that I thought about it. Um, as for the least confessionals, we uh, we both went the Calabau route. You chose Katie, whereas I chose Carter. Um, both of them had zero, so no point is awarded there. So last week's score, I was up 1-0, and uh, that means now we're tied 1-1. 1-1. All right, I'm liking where this is heading. We're tied right, this up. Is be a, this is going to be a struggle. Yeah, we don't want to blow out right from the beginning. We want the, to, this to be a good good battle. Right. I'm glad we're both successful at, pee, at picking people who don't get shown at all. Last week, I almost picked Pete. Yeah, good thing you didn't. <laughs> he, right. He, how he many confessions three, did he get? Three. He had... The most on Tandang, he was tied with Abby for the most on Tandang. Yeah, he got he got quite a bit of airtime. He's really I'm pleasantly surprised by Pete. He's actually showing potential. Yeah, definitely. It's it's going to be interesting to see if you know they're maybe they're employing the whole the dog that didn't bark uh, strategy again. Yeah, who knows? But I I did want to say Carter did speak in the episode. We got to hear him talk. It just wasn't a confessional. This is true. I, I, but, I win on a technicality, or we tie on a technicality. But Katie <laughs> did not speak, I don't think at all, except to raise her hand to say that she was sitting out of the challenge. <laughs> right, she didn't even participate. <laughs> and I watched a secret scene of one of her confessionals and sort of understood why they're not showing her that much. <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, 
Is she vapid or something? She's a little, like, bratty. And just, like... Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't... She's, it was very off-putting to me. The one, you know, a minute, 30 seconds I saw of her talking. Right. <laughs> so now we have to... You, you uh... Now we have to select, um... This week's... And I'll, I'll pick first for most this time. Yes, because I picked first for most last time. Uh... Ugh, who's gonna get the most? I'm gonna go with, uh... Jeff Kemp. I think that's a good pick. I would have picked him uh, had you not... I think it's clear. I don't think Matt Singh is going back to tribal council again. They've, they've got to show uh, some of these other tribes a bit more, which I know is a, a separate state, two separate statements. But uh, I'm going to go with someone from Tam Dang. I'm actually going to pick. Uh, I'm going to take my sleeping the dark horse and pick Pete. Ah, nice, interesting. It's a bold strategy, but I hope it works. It is, yeah. Yeah, and something interesting about the confessionals, Michael Scoopin, for the first episode, had like a bazillion, and then for the next two, he's had zero. Yeah, he had eight, and then zero, and then zero, so, but he hurt himself again, because the mask (laughs) shattered in his face. (laughs) Oh, that was hilarious. (laughs) I saw some Survivor website, or maybe it was Michael Scoopin himself on Facebook, was keeping a, a tally of his injuries. Um, uh, Gordon Holmes has a chart that, uh, it's a picture of a person and then little arrows and dots to where everywhere he's gotten hurt and what episode it was. Yeah, that's the one I saw. That was, (laughs) yeah, you just, I mean, because he dived face first and it just shattered in his face, which with the pressure of the water would, would, I mean, force that glass right into your face or whatever, plastic, whatever it is. Yeah, I'm pretty Pretty sure it's glass. I think most... Most uh, goggles are, are glass. Well, most goggles like that. Right, <laughs> I right. mean, the, the dollar store ones that you're getting. <laughs> they cover just your eyes are different. But, anyways, uh, least confessionals. I get to pick first for this one. You know, I'm going to take your strategy that you employed last week. You know, when you've got, when you've got a good thing, you don't let it go. So I'm going to pick Carter again. And uh, I'm sticking with mine. I'm going with Katie. We're uh, we're two for two. I can't wait to see if we're three for three. <laughs> right. No, it'll be fun. So, and who knows? We'll, maybe we'll both get zero again. <laughs> that would be a record, I think. Three three weeks in a row. <laughs> well, we'll see about that. All right. right. We are going to be having a Survivor Roundtable today with two uh, fans of the show. Um Clayton and Patrick are going to be joining us, but before we do that, we're going to do our historical analysis of Survivor. Uh, This is where we take Survivor Philippines and see how it's compared or contrasted to other seasons on the show. You got something? Well, my my first one, the one that uh, you're going to laugh at me for, but it was just a funny moment. Uh, Jeff Kent was talking about his four-fingered handshake. Yes. Um, which obviously is just is just kind of ludicrous, you know, because apparently if you shake a man's hand for real, then you can't break that promise, right? Yeah. Um, or if he's on the jury and you say, well, I only shook, shook your hand with four fingers, you know, he'll understand. Yeah. <laughs> that reminded me of Johnny Fairplay in Survivor Pearl Islands when he told Sandra to hold up her, fing- her hands to make sure that she wasn't crossing her fingers. <laughs> and it just, just like, yeah, 
But she's not crossing her fingers, so she can't possibly. It lie must be way. a man code thing. <laughs> what? It must be a man code thing. Apparently, I don't know. I just thought I just laughed so hard because it reminded me of that moment. And yeah. it's just these people somehow think that you know the, these symbolisms of promises are hold more true. It's just it's it's funny to me. One uh, one comparison that I was sort of making is we had a tribe that lost three times in a row the very first three immunity challenges. And I was going back and seeing how many other tribes have done that. And it's actually uh, five other tribes, five other seasons of Survivor had it where the one tribe lost three immunity challenges in a row. Ooh, um, can I guess? Okay, go for it. Well, obviously Oolong is one of them. Yep, we have Palau Season 10 with Oolong, who is the most losingest <laughs> tribe ever. I'm pretty sure Rahu from... Fiji? Yep, that is another one. Season uh, 14 with Fiji, Ravu, the have-nots, <laughs> that right. did not have immunity. <laughs> I'm thinking Omatepe? No, they lost uh, two, and then it switched over. Oh, right, because Russell left before Christina. Yep. Okay, so I have two out, I've, I'm two for three right now. Let's see, the, the heroes didn't lose that that much. Uh, oh, um, Foa Foa. Yep, Survivor Samoa, 19. Russell's Tribe lost three in a row, and a lot more <laughs> after that. Okay. Um, so you got three out of the five. Okay, so let's see. It wasn't season 18, 17. wasn't season 16. wasn't 15. I'm going backwards. 13, no. 12, no. Eleven was Guatemala. That might be. I'm gonna go with, uh, and I don't remember the name of it. It was either Nakum or Yasha, but I don't remember which one it was. But I'm gonna go with Guatemala. And you would be incorrect. Ah. Uh, that one was Nakum lost the first challenge, but then Yasha lost the next two. Switch back and forth. Do you want me just to tell you the other two? Oh. Oh, Saboga. No, no that's that's no. not right. I'm just going to tell you. Okay. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> Pearl Island, you had the Morgan tribe lost the first three in a row, and then it ended up winning the next three. But right. the first three in a row they lost. And then the last one is Marquesas with Maraamu. Oh. I would have gotten there eventually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, another interesting uh, statistic I, I was looking at is we now have a tribe with three people on it. And how many times have we had a tribe get down to only three people? And, ironically, there's not, only three other times. Not, not including the uh, final three, I assume. N no, not, not after merge tribes. And before the merge, a tribe okay, has well, gotten down to three. And there's only three other occasions. Oolong, obviously. Yep. Uh, when Stephanie was the last one, obviously, <laughs> they had to get to three before they could get to one. Right. I, that's the only one I can think of off the top of my head. Well, once again, we have Marquesas with Maraamu, who got down to three with Kathy, Pascal, and Nalia. Uh, and then the other one is sort of a cop-out, uh, but you have Survivor Panama, where Kasaya lost the first immunity challenge, and they only had four people on their tribe. So, automatically, they were down to three after one tribal council. Yeah, that, that's a bit of a comment, but I guess technically you're right. Technically. One other thing that I was sort of comparing and looking in the past is we had, in this episode, we had Abby, 
and RC, who were sort of best friends and made an alliance right from the beginning, just sort of have a big blowout and sort of, like, separate and have a breakup. And I was thinking, what other breakups have we had between two females who were friends and then got mad at each other and sort of departed ways? And I could only really think of two. I can think of any either, right? Usually they work out their differences for the sake of the alliance. Yeah, the the biggest two, or the biggest one, obviously, is uh, Kelly and Sue from Borneo. Yeah. I mean, that one was a big, uh, they were so good friends in the beginning, but it happened near the end, and then they just sort of exploded and got mad at each other. Mainly Sue, if we want to be fair. Mm-hmm. The other one I thought of was... Once again, Marquesas, where you had, uh, after John was voted out, you had Zoe and Tammy, who were, you know, sort of the cliquish in their alliance, and then all of a sudden they got mad at each other and saying, I never liked you anyways. And <laughs> I, I don't remember that one clearly. You, you have a better memory than me. Yeah, you had, uh, you, obviously you remember the alliance that they had. For sure. Um after John got voted out, and it was just Zoe, Tammy, and the general left, uh, Zoe was all trying to be like, I was never with them. I don't know what you're talking about. And then her and Tammy got into a big argument, and Zoe was like, I never liked you anyways, Tammy. And it just sort of had a big blow up, and then Zoe ended up getting voted out. But Right, right. Hmm. So from the editing, it looked like they were close, though, you know, throughout you know most of the season until that happened. And that's all I could really think of as far as female, I mean, two females. I mean, I think there's been some two males and everything throughout the seasons, but. Right. Had to go old school to find one, a comparison for that one. Yeah, season that, one and season it four. It's but. interesting to see how survivors change with people nowadays more willing to uh, stay together for the sake of the alliance. We may not like each other, but. Or, you know, most people are able to keep their mouth shut more, I think, now. Um, and they know that for strategic purposes, where maybe in the first season they weren't playing as strategically, and it was more about the personal relationships and stuff like that. Yeah. Did you have any more historical analysis? You did better than I did, man. I'm, I was just a funny corpse. <laughs> yeah, let's get, uh, let's get Clayton and Patrick on the, on the show. All right, well, we now have Clayton and Patrick on the line. How are you guys doing? Good, good. You? I'm doing good. great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for being on. Um, so why don't you guys share a little bit about yourself to our listeners and uh, plug any blogs or other things that you may be having. Clayton, why don't we start with you? Um, well, uh, this season I'm not blogging, unfortunately. I sort of stopped it about two seasons ago. College started and writing enough papers. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Clayton Spivey, or uh, my tweeting account for Survivor itself is Hair of Malcolm. That's H-A-I-R-O-F, and then Malcolm's name. You know, they Malcolm tweets me back ever so often, Angie and all them, so it's fun. It's all uh, Survivor-related tweets, and I'm just a fan of the show and the podcast, so... Yeah, and is this your third time, fourth time being on with us, I think? Um, yeah, I think fourth, yeah, because one I was on, and then the next one I was on, and then we did this recap at the end, Yeah, we all came back for like 15 minutes. So yes, I'm glad to be back. Awesome. Patrick? 
Hi, uh, so I'm Patrick. I run a Survivor Pro blog. It's um, a new Survivor blog. I'm a big Survivor fan. I've been for many, many seasons. Um, I'm a professional game designer, and I've been thinking about what a blog might look like from a professional game designer. Um, and so what I do day-to-day is I, I take games and I break them down into their smaller components so they're super digestible. And, and so I built up a blog uh, based on that same format. So whereas a lot of other blogs are doing recaps and they do really well, um, there isn't really a need for that. I thought, okay, well, what if we take a we take an episode and we break it down into smaller chunks and uh, try to just get the highlights rather than um, go in too much detail on the actual episode. Um, so the responses are really good, and um, it's like a sports style power rankings with all the contestants. We love lists. <laughs> <laughs> People seem to be really into that, um, and it's fun to do it every uh, <clears throat> with every uh, new episode because. Uh, you know, things can change pretty rapidly in Survivor, as we all know. Yeah, and I, I really like how you, in your blog, you break it down into strategic moves and social moves. So you're you're sort of dissecting it, like you said, which is really interesting to me. Yeah, those are two of the three components. The other one is the challenges. Um, I did. A, I tried to do a little bit of that earlier, and it didn't. The response wasn't as strong. People seemed really interested in the strategy and the social. So that's what we're going to focus on moving forward. Uh, but I appreciate you and, and everyone else checking out the blog and uh, supporting it. It's been really encouraging. Yeah, awesome. So we uh, have an, a former blogger and a new blogger, so this should be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to get started with our Survivor Roundtable. Uh, going to throw out a bunch of different questions, uh, specifically about the most recent episode of Survivor Philippines, and get your guys' thoughts and opinions on uh, everything that sort of went down in Episode 3. So my first question, we're going to go skip all the way to the end of the show. Was voting Angie out the best oh. move for De- Malcolm and Denise? We're going to start with Clayton. Okay, good. I, that's why I, was, I was very glad you had me for this episode because I had a lot to say about it. Horrible move. And I, I mean, I'll explain a little bit because for me, okay, they've already lost two in a row. They're in tribes of six. They're already going to be down to three. Numbers is a foregone conclusion for that tribe. Like they're not going to have numbers, however they break it down going into merge. They're not going. They're not going to lose six more people before merge. It's just not going to happen. So numbers to me really shouldn't matter, or strength really shouldn't matter at this point. Keep the people that you know are going to be loyal to you. They showed no loyalty to Russell. So what incentive does he have to show them loyalty once it comes to a swap if it's a better deal to these people that have just been, you know, keeping him around but voting his allies out? You know, I don't really see it as a move that's going to benefit them in the long run. I personally hope they lose another one just to get rid of Russell, but (laughs) I don't think it was a good move at all. Angie was um, just sort of like hook, line, and sinker in Malcolm. She was going to the slaughter with them. It didn't matter what she was sticking with them, but I don't think Russell's going to do that. All right, Patrick, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, mean, I have to agree. You've seen in the past when uh, people couple up like uh, Malcolm and Angie have, they can go a long ways. And, you know, everyone was very nervous about that. They should be because uh, it was a powerful alliance. Uh, I, I personally am not, wasn't a big, big fan of Angie, but they definitely, her and, uh, and Malcolm and Malcolm and uh, Denise had sort of a three-person alliance going, uh, and that's just no longer in place anymore. Uh, so I think it was a bad move. Maybe, maybe Malcolm just likes older women, 
and <laughs> that's that's his main couple. Uh, Jeff, what are your thoughts? You know, I hate to sound like a broken record, David, but I, I have to agree with Clayton and Patrick. I think, uh, you know, for a few reasons, it was a bad decision. One, uh, I think to get the returning players out of the game as quickly as possible is the best move that any newbie can yeah. do. Um, Angie, uh, as Patrick stated, is just kind of a loyal number. She's not going to cause waves. She's not going to, you know, do anything shaky once the merge happens, but you don't know that with Russell. Mm-hmm. But I think, thirdly, and I think the mo- most importantly, if you are going to take a challenge perspective at it and see who is the strongest, everyone says you have to know your strengths and play your strengths in Survivor, but I think it's equally as important to know your weaknesses and play your weaknesses. Angie made a very good point when she said, you know, I may not have been able to swim out there again, but at least I recognize that fact. Yep. Russell wasn't able to do it, and he still tried, which cost us valuable time. And, I mean, when you see how close the challenge was, arguably enough time to, to give them a win or, a, or a, you know, ch- change the tide of the challenge. So I think knowing your weaknesses is just as important as knowing your strength. And I think, I mean, and we saw it in Samoa too, Angie knows her weaknesses much better than Russell does. Russell thinks mm-hmm. he can. All right. Here's my thought. I'm gonna I'm gonna take the stance and disagree with all of you. <laughs> uh, I think it was a good move for this point. Yes, you point out that Angie knows her weaknesses, but she has a lot of weaknesses. <laughs> okay. So does Russell. <laughs> to be fair, Russell has some weaknesses. I agree, but I we sort of have yet to find the thing that Angie was good at, other than a straight out sprint. We, we haven't really seen Angie, you know, succeed in any sort of challenge, whether it be mental or physical, especially, uh, or swimming or anything. So I think when you're down to three people, the thing you have to do is win. And I think there's potential for Russell to be more of a benefit than there was for Angie. Yes, Malcolm sometimes, or, or not Malcolm, uh, Russell can sometimes overstep his boundaries <laughs> when it comes to challenges. Uh, but I still think that he has a lot more potential to offer as opposed to Angie, who really didn't have anything that was really contributing to the challenges. Yes, she could point out where she couldn't do things, but she didn't really have anything where she could. <laughs> no, uh, I do have something to add about your theory about him, uh, about Malcolm being into older women. He did tweet me once saying that um, tonight he needed to look good because all shameless middle-aged women would be touching him. <laughs> so that, that might go with your theory. <laughs> maybe, maybe it is. Maybe, maybe Angie was just sort of the, uh, the decoy for his real relationship with Denise here. You know? She was too young and her boobs were too big for him. <laughs> is that a thing? <laughs> is that a, for me, there's not. Control yourself, Jeff. All right. <laughs> A twenty-year-old pageant. You brought up a really interesting point that um, you know Russell, uh, like he has all this potential, and when you look at him, you think he would dominate challenges. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to really do anything. Do you think he's gonna he's gonna break out at some point in the next episode or two and contribute? Well, he or was the same situation in Samoa too. I mean, his leadership was questionable at best. He chose comfort over necessity. Um, his tribe never went to tribal council, but when they did, he was not in charge of the vote because Yasmin was uh, was not voted off. Mm-hmm. He, he he's just a he, his survivor world has been questionable at best, and kind of this hero complex that he has is somewhat misguided. I think. 
I like to call the muscle he has either like model muscle or steroid muscle. It's not functional. It's just there for looks. Yeah, I think it's all steroid. It looks like, look, looks like Tarzan plays like Jane, as we say. Yeah. <laughs> Jane from Nicaragua? She's pretty strong, Jeff. <laughs> oh, gosh. No, I meant looks like Tarzan, like the Disney. Movie. No, I know what you meant. I was just like Tarzan from One World and Jane from Nicaragua. About the worst combo you can have. Ever. <laughs> That's yeah, I agree that uh, Russell has not lived up to his potential at all. But I still think there is the potential there where I didn't think there was that much potential at all. Uh, of Angie, except being a mindless drone who will do whatever they say. But at this point, with only three people, if you lose again, you don't need a mindless drone. <laughs> you know? You know? Mm-hmm. Well, you kind of do. From Malcolm's perspective, of course you need a mindless drone, because no matter what, you, do, you don't want to be the one getting voted out. Cause, and I don't think I would... Tr- I mean, Angie and Denise are not going to form an alliance against Malcolm. Well, neither is Russell and Denise. You don't know that. I'm, I'm pretty sure. There's been a lot of surprises thus far, David. Yeah. But apparently Russell hasn't really talked strategy to anyone this entire season. <laughs> Denise, Denise and Malcolm will be our new um, our new Bobby John and Stephanie, but better. Yeah. But better. <laughs> I, love, I love my Stephanie, but I really like Malcolm and Denise a lot. All right, let's move on to the next question then. We just saw a big power shift in Tandang. Uh, you had the whole, you know, breakup between Abby and RC, and we saw Pete actually talk and become sort of like a mastermind. We saw Lisa get into the mix. People are gunning for Mike. My question is, who is actually in control at Tandang at this point? If they were to go to Tribal Council, if they last night, if they would have lost, who would have been going home? Who's in control of this game uh, for Tandang? Let's start with Patrick. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it kills me because they have a four-person alliance with uh, Abby Marina, R.C., Scoopin, and uh, uh, Pete, right? Yeah. Um, you, you think they have it going, and then... And then there's a new three-personal life that emerges between Lisa, Abby Maria, and Pete. Um, Abby Maria seems to be running between the two, but I think she's putting herself in a pretty vulnerable spot. I think it's a pretty high-risk game. RC has her thing, Abby Maria has her thing, but Pete's in both of the alliances. So I don't know if he's running it, but he's certainly he's in a good spot. Um, I, I, Pete, Pete is just like, he hasn't said much. He kind of seems wrapped around Abby Maria's finger, but... He's not been in the line of fire at all. I think he, he stands to benefit. Um, I think RC still is in control of that tribe, but uh, that that could end up in a, like a big war. And I think people like Pete, who's kind of on the outside, doesn't get caught up in it. And, and both alliances uh, could come out on top. You know, he could swing it around. Yeah. You know, I I think it, it's interesting because I think that Abby, Pete, and uh, Lisa are pretty solid. I don't think that uh, I don't think that those three are going to waver simply for fear. Now that, especially since Pete knows that Abby has the idol, and uh, Lisa is just kind of looking for anyone, anything to hold on to that's stable. And you know that RC and Mike are are pretty tight together. And as long as Abby and Pete and Lisa can keep their thing under wraps, RC and Mike are going to stay together. The big question mark is artists. 
I don't know where he stands in anything. And I, I, I he had a, a confessional last night, but I can't remember for the life of me what he what he said. He was and, uh, against scooping, saying he was stupid for breaking the mask. Right, right, right. Um, but I don't think that frustration is enough to to manifest itself in a vote simply for that reason. So I, I think it could feasibly be a tie, Pete. Abby and Lisa versus artist Michael and RC, but I could also see it being a four-two with Michael and RC being in the minority, which I, you know, I never thought I would say. So, mm-hmm. I mean, saying that, and I think Pete's in control, and well, artists and Pete are both in control, which are is another sentence I never thought I'd say, but <laughs> you know, Survivor surprised me. So, congratulations. All right, Clayton, what are your thoughts? Uh, I agree with the sentiment. I never thought I would have to say the things I'm about to have to say. Adam Maria has an idol. Please shoot me. Um, then you have then you have Pete, who uh, it's he could be saying the most brilliant thing in the world, and I would still think he's an idiot. Like I, I can't, like I can't grasp any type of intelligence. It's it's. He, and he's so monotone that it, it 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 just goes over my head. But I will say he is controlling it right now. Sadly, he's controlling it. But he's, I mean, he he did what he was supposed to do. You never ostracize someone in the game because the second you ostracize someone, the first person that goes to them is going to take it because they think that's their only option. So Pete played his cards right at the time, and that's partly. Scoopin's fault because Scoopin had that in with Lisa from the get go. That if he would have taken advantage of it, he would have had the Angie mindless drone of the Maxine side. He would have had her. He would have had RC. Um, Artist probably would have went because he could do the age rallying of the vote. You know, say you know they're going to vote us off. We're all the old people. Blah blah blah. But yeah, it 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 doesn't look good for Scoopin right now or RC. Edit-wise, I thought, okay, we have an R.C., Denise, um, we have an R.C., Denise, or Scoop and Win. It, the last two episodes haven't looked good for Scoop and I mean, they stuck the the confessional from um, Artisan that was really, you know, trivial and really wasn't important to the storyline just for the purpose of showing some negative sentiment towards Mike, which they have yet to do the entire time. And then they just throw it in randomly when it really doesn't mean anything. So I think the tides are turning. The thing is, I don't see any stability with people like Abu Maria. And I don't see any stability with artists if he gets so pissed about a mask. So, and if, and I think Scoopin can salvage his relationship with Lisa. So I think it's swingable, but if they were to go to tribal that night... Scooping would have left. Yeah, I think the big thing is can can Michael Scoopin and RC pull over Lisa? I think that's the big question because we saw Lisa and her confessional be hesitant for voting Michael out. You know, she he was she was saying I really want to vote RC out. I think I think it would be good to keep Michael and all this stuff. So is that you know enough to make her switch? And maybe vote out uh, an Abby Marie or someone like that. I'm not sure. Real quick, long term, who do, who's going to come out on top, Pete and Abby or Mike and RC? 
Ah, oh, so hard. You know, you don't want to put your name on something because then you look like an idiot if it goes wrong. Well, it's all right. But based on edit, I say RC and Mike. All right. Jeff? I think, as much as I hate to say it, I think Pete and Abby are, have the upper hand on this one. Patrick? Um, I'm going to give... <laughs> I'm going to put my faith in intelligence, and so I'm going to say... Uh, RC and Mike. I know I know that's dangerous, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to go with RC and Mike. Also. I'm going to go Mike and RC, too. <laughs> you just got to hope the good prevails. <laughs> I just can't fathom a world in which we have Pete, the model jeer, and Abby Maria, who I can't understand a word for me, um, being the final two. I just can't see it. I can't see it. Yeah. But I, I'm not a big fan. Like, I like Mike. I don't like RC that much at all. I don't really I, like RC, but... Do you uh, like her I, more than I, Abby? Oh, oh, hands no. down. I don't, I don't like... There's no one on that tribe I like except Lisa and Mike for entertainment. All right, let's move on to the next question then. Uh, we saw Jeff sort of make this four-fingered handshake with, uh, with uh, Penner, starting to, it's a sort of alliance sort of a thing. Um, but what was interesting is that if you looked in the scenes for next episode, they make a five finger handshake and not a four finger. And if you go by Jeff's, <laughs> Jeff's confessional that uh, a five finger means you have to stick to your word. Do you see this? Do you think that Jeff will really align with Penner and they'll actually do something? Or do you think it's all a ruse and next episode Jeff is just going to continue to try to blindside Penner? Uh, let's start with Jeff. You know, I think uh, I think he will. I think Jeff Kent is uh, is smart enough to go with the power. And now that Jonathan has confirmed that he has an idol, Jeff Kent probably has stars in his eyes, realizing the fact that he can blindside whoever he wants on uh, and uh, on of the other four. And Jeff Kent realizes that now, if he goes with Penner, that the idol can't be used against him. I think that's his fear. If they vote five one, but Penner and then Penner just gets to decide who goes home, which I think Jeff is afraid of. Interesting. But he's going to go with him for real. Sorry, uh, Clayton. You know, I'm sort of mixed on Jeff Kent. I came in being like, oh, I don't want him. He's a dang baseball player. But I'm actually sort of thinking he's playing quite well. Um, I think he's keeping his options open, and I think that's really important in Survivor. And you know his. Four finger handshake, which I thought was sort of clever. Um, that that's something where you know I think he just I think I don't think he did that on purpose. I think that was something after the fact. He was like, <laughs> oh oh yeah, that'll look good on a confessional. So let me say I did that for this reason. But I do think he is fully keeping his options open. If he sees uh, a spot where he can take scoop, uh, not scooping, uh, take Pinner out without him um, playing the idol, since he know he has the idol, I think he will 100% do it. I don't buy that he's with Pinner. I mean, if Pinner was smart, I mean, look at the way the guy talked to you. First of all, he gave you a four-finger handshake, and he did his sentence about wanting to work with you in for a while. Operative work, for a while. That's what he said. He said, you know, I'll be in your boat for a while. Not, I want to be in your boat for a while, you know? I think if he's going to purposely add the words to the end of that sentence, I think Pinner has something to worry about. All right, Patrick? Yeah, I totally agree. I think uh, he is keeping his options open. It's, it's, I want to see Pinner 
do more than just get one ally. Like, you never want to bank on one person. Uh, they need a third and maybe even a fourth if they want to get the numbers. And when you have an idol, you can make that happen. I wouldn't feel comfortable. I really wouldn't feel comfortable just playing a two-person alliance with uh, Justin. Yeah, yeah. If that's your only hope, uh, don't don't count your chickens too much. <laughs> is, is is anyone surprised that it looks like we have a Dana Jeff Kent alliance? Yeah, the the guy who donates to anti-gay charities and the lesbian in an alliance. Yeah, I, uh, that I love great. it. I think it's so funny. It's great. But I do like Dana. I wish. I think we're getting screwed on the edit for Ball because they're not crazy and they haven't gone in tribal. So therefore, we're really not seeing much of them unless it has to do with the idol. So I think we're really getting screwed on people like uh, Dawson, who's probably really good uh, entertainment-wise. I bet Carter's pretty good, too. Um, and Dana, who I enjoy every time I see her. I think she just has a very level head. But um, I think the three-tribe thing and the fact that Maxine keeps losing is hurting the edit of the Kalabal tribe. Yeah, well, that brings me to my next question. Are the other members of that tribe, besides Penner and Jeff, are they? do you think they're actually playing the game that well? Do you think that, because we don't see that much of them, obviously, do you think they're playing it good, or do you think uh, they're just sort of in this sort of, oh, yeah, they haven't really thought of the strategy too much, they're just like, oh, yeah, we're getting Penner out first if we lose, sort of a thing. Patrick? Um, I think it's tough to tell. You can definitely tell that, um, uh, like, if you look at someone like Dawson, who, when it was raining, instituted uh, indoor games. Like, she's trying to keep the tribe's morale up. Her head's in the game. And when you watch Carter on the beach, his body language, uh, he, can, he's, or he keeps getting shots of him working around camp. Uh, and when challenges happen, he's all out. Like, he doesn't leave anything behind. So I think they're playing the game. We're just not getting to see it that much. And yeah. it's kind of hard to decipher exactly what's going on in the, on that tribe. Jeff? Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, – or I, 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 to, to answer the question, I think they just said, Penner's out, we're good, and didn't have to talk about it. We saw the same thing, you know, from Karor in, in uh, Palau where there were really – we didn't see much strategy from them because they never went to tribal council because they just didn't have to worry about it. And I think it's even mm – -hmm. Uh, hyper, you know, it's, it's even heightened when you have an alliance who says, okay, he's gone, good, no, uh, no nothing to worry about, and just kind of brushes up. You know, I think, I, mean, I really am very disappointed in the, because I think we, we had a really good opportunity to, uh, for the game to have this three-tribe format, but because Madsine keeps losing, like, we're getting screwed on the edit. Like, we don't see any. Like, I mean, we haven't seen Carter in one confessional. He talked for a teeny bit this time. You know, Katie's had one confessional, but we have yet to even hear her name mentioned since then on the first episode. Uh, Dana, who I think, Dana and Dawson, who I think are a lot more active than is being let on, we don't get to see anything of. But um, I really agree with uh, what Patrick was saying about I – mean, you can tell little things like the body language of certain people. I think the point that they're making of showing Dana, even though it's a little bit, is a good sign. And I think her and Kent are really a twosome. While we haven't got to see that really solidified yet, we did a little bit in episode one. 
um, but we haven't really seen it get to place that yet. Um, I do think that, that they're a good little twosome, and then Dawson, I think, is playing a good social game, as far as I can tell, but it's, it's really hard to read. Like, do we know if there's this big overarching alliance? Like, is anyone doing anything with Pinner on the side other than Jeff Kent? And Jeff Kent is only being shown because of his star status. You know, it, it's really impossible to tell anything. That's why it makes predicting, you know, post-swap or post-merge game impossible. Yeah, I agree. I think we haven't really seen that much out of them. I mean, and part of it, I think it comes from that, you know, obviously they're not doing something utterly spectacular, otherwise we would probably see it. Um, but they're they're not in a position where they're losing. Obviously, Matt Singh is taking care of that for the past three episodes, so we haven't need, had the need to really see them strategically. And our focus on that tribe has solely been Penner, the idol, and now Jeff and Penner. The only person I don't I don't feel like I know anything about on that chart though is Katie. Like I'm not oh, yeah. sure yeah. what's going on with Katie. Well, uh, Jeff and I predict who's going to have the most and least confessionals uh, for each episode. And for the past two, I have picked Katie, <laughs> and <laughs> and she has gotten zero. So I'm still on this Katie bandwagon of she's turning into a purple Kelly where we haven't really seen that much of her at all. But she's going to have some random cult following among. <laughs> oh yeah, she'll be you know a goddess or whatever they call G dot Otis. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next question. Of the returning players, who's doing the best? Who's in the best position? Because it it almost seems like they're all in not very good positions right now. So who who's doing the best out of these returning players? Let's start with Clayton. Oh, a one week ago. From yesterday, I would have said hands down scooping. I don't think any of them are in good positions, like you just said. I think they're all like on the sh- have the short end of the stick um, right now. Pinner, like I said, I didn't think I would be saying it about Pinner, but I well, I don't think he's in a good position. I think he's taking the most active role in his position in the game. First week, two weeks, I was very concerned. I was like. All he's doing is looking for the idol, but I think he sort of took a uh, page out of Mule's book and used the idol as leverage, which a lot of people have been doing recently. You know, you had Coach do it, you had Boston Rob do it, um, and now I think Pinner's trying to do it a little bit with using it as leverage, not just it, uh, keeping it in your back pocket or, you know, in your crotch, um, trying to use it as a, you know, little sneak attack move. I think his move to tell Jeff Kent about the idol, since they all knew he had the idol anyway, and they would have tried to blindside him just to get rid of it anyways, that doing that gains him a little bit of favor where it at least creates some doubt in Jeff Kent's mind. Patrick, your thoughts? Yeah, so, look, Penner has an idol, and when he doesn't get injured, he actually does pretty well in the game. Cook Island, you know, he... He went pretty deep. Like, he knows how to play the game. He's played in the modern era, whereas, like, Scoopin hasn't played since season two. And uh, the, the game's a very different game now. Uh, and Russell's never actually been good at the game. <laughs> right. So, you know, long term, you know, the target's definitely on Pinner, but, like, he has experience. He's played it more than anyone else, and he's a pretty decent player. So I think he's doing the best job. 
Jeff? Yeah, I'm going to have to agree. Penner, I, I, I struggle to say that. I, I think all three of them are, are playing. I don't know if they're playing bad games or if they're simply have been handed bad situations, but I don't know. Something in me says Russell, he must be fighting. I mean, he must be doing something mm. in order to, uh, like, he has to be. There's just no other explanation. I, I don't know why we haven't seen it, but something has, I mean, he's doing something clearly. So well, I don't know if he's fighting for his ancestors, Jeff. Oh right. my God. He dropped the episode. The favorite part of the episode was his, his, uh, Two go-to, you know, African American people who have fought hard are a his ancestors and b Jim Crow, and then he yes. searches for more but can't find any others. <laughs> <laughs> Off the top of my head, like it, it just made me laugh. Jim Crow was your go-to. Not that Jim Crow, you know, didn't suffer and all that, but it just it made me laugh. But you know, so he I. I have to think he's doing something um i if, if matt singh doesn't lose again and he makes it to the merge he could be a valuable commodity um for uh Calabau or tending to just gain the upper hand so i'm gonna say penner with an asterisk that says russell may have things in store uh can i can i i i sort of have a on the i think if he was doing something don't you think the editors would jump at the chance of making their returnee look good by Maybe. showing what he's doing? I, I would think so, but they've surprised me more than once this season. See, I feel it this way. I think Russell's more of a pawn than people know. Uh-huh. I think he is totally just being used by Denise and Malcolm and is as equally a pawn as Angie is. And they, they recognize that he'll do anything to stay in the game. And he doesn't have any, like, strategic control over everyone. His social game isn't that good. I mean, he's sort of the perfect person <laughs> to, to keep at this point. Cause, and his potential at challenges is greater than Angie's. So, I mean, I think he's just a pawn for Malcolm and Denise. And doesn't go all crazy as much as Roxy. <laughs> Also, keep in mind that they they have an idol at their tribe still. It's true. He has the clue. Yeah. Oh, how, how have people not found that idol? There's a random ornate looking thing that looks exactly like a China idol right on top of your rice bin. Okay, yeah, that's not anything. Well, well and I think that may have been part of the reason that they didn't get rid of Russell was because Zane put the thought in their head that Russell could have an idol. Don't you think he would have played it by now? I mean, <laughs> he's been. Cl- he played it last time. Why would he have played it with Roxy? He would have played it for Roxy if he had it. Really? I, I, yeah, I, I fully believe he would have played it for Roxy because he saw the other people as, you know, they're all together and I'm screwed. selfish to do that. Because I thought he, because like he said, he said he thought that he would be gone unless. I, I just got to say, I think this is maybe the most entertaining uh, returning survivors that I've seen on the show simply for the fact that you have people like Russell and people like Mike who weren't experts at the game. You know, you have people like Boston Rob and, uh, you know, Coach who've been on it, you know, t- two or three times. They're, they've, they're very knowledgeable at the game. They're able to control people. I sort of like it that they're almost at an equal playing field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like we get to see our stars. Well, I wouldn't call Russell a 
stuck. <laughs> Sorry, you, you might be able to tell I don't really like Russell that much. But um, it, we get to see them, but it's still an even playing field where, where they're not outshining the newbies. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's always still newbies that we don't see at all. But uh, but the, there's definitely getting equal playing time with a lot of other people. I mean, we're seeing Abby and RC really in control of Tandang and, and Mike sort of taking a back seat, especially in these past two episodes. I mean, and you see Malcolm and Denise in control of, of their tribe, and Russell is, is there, but not strategically. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you see Jeff Kent sort of taking an equal role against... Jonathan Penner. So, I mean, we're seeing all these other people as opposed to, like, South Pacific, where it was sort of Ozzy and his group versus, you know, uh, Coach and his group. This is the first season that we've sort of had water challenges in a long time. What are your thoughts on being back uh, into the the beach and water challenges, Patrick? Oh, man. Um, As soon as I did the uh, establishing shot of that challenge, I tweeted, like how happy I was to see that beautiful water again. <laughs> I'm a bit of a fish myself, and uh, I feel like there's, you know, when they spend all the time on the beach, like, especially in a place like Nicaragua where they were really constrained, I feel like you lose that sense of exploration and that sense of adventure that um, that is so classic to Survivor. You had it later on when you know you had Ozzy uh, diving down into and going fishing. You get some of that later on after Nicaragua, but I feel like so much has been on these these beaches where they're just sort of constrained to this 100-yard beach or whatever, whatever tiny beach they're on. Um, this, the sense of adventure and the sense of exploration and it just isn't there. And it's back this season, not just in the challenges, but um, around camp as well. So I, I'm really, really happy. Um, and I always, always feel like there's some people who really excel at swimming and swimming challenges. Uh, like who would have thought that, uh, uh, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, the tie-dye t-shirts, uh, beard. Rupert. Rupert, there we go. <laughs> Who thought that he would be like, a, like an expert swimmer, that beard. <laughs> but he's like totally, you know, totally excelled. And so it's always going to see who's like the swimmer on the team. Yeah, and I mean, we had yeah. Denise and RC, which both sort of surprised me. Like, I didn't think they would be the standouts of their tribes. Yeah, yeah Denise. So you would not expect those to be the, the swimmers. Jeff, what are your thoughts on uh, water? <laughs> oh, I love the water. I, I think it's great. I don't know why they've kept it away from us in, in the two seasons in uh, or in the last couple seasons in Samoa, just because the water's been so. I mean, if you look at the water, it's beautiful. Like it's clear and crystal, and you can see the bottom of the ocean for the first, you know, while, first long while. It, it's just gorgeous, and the fact that they've ignored it over the last few seasons is just a travesty. Well, the um, reason why they said is because the the water was just too rough. The waves and everything, they couldn't hold a challenge in it. Oh, uh, that would make sense. Although there are still challenges that you could hold, I think. But that, that's me being a person who doesn't know anything. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I think it's uh, great that they're back in the water. I think it, I agree completely with Patrick. It re-adds that sense of adventure. Um, it's, I find it really sad that Survivor, you know, like Colby mentioned in the Heroes vs. Villains finale, that Survivor is no longer able to, uh, you know, they're not able to go on an exploration like, like they used to. You know, we remember in Pearl Islands when Andrew and Rhino went on that long walk to the other side of the island, which ended up being completely futile. I mean, it just, the show hasn't had that in a while, and I, I think it's, I agree with Patrick that that sense is good, and it's not quite there, but 
I'd love to see some people go on an expedition. Mm-hmm. Clayton? Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with the two guys also that um, it's, it's a great addition. I mean, I saw someone yesterday, they tweeted that it looks, it's like they changed, like they changed the entire crew. It's like they changed locations, they changed the editors, like all of a sudden we're getting this um, increase in uh, the amount of camp life that's shown. I mean, I think some of it was attributed to the Matt thing losing, whether, you know, they wanted to show them um, falling apart with their raft floating away and whatnot. But I think the edits changed a lot. And then, I mean, the water, like, I was I was thinking that. I was talking to my mom about it when we were watching it, and I was saying that, you know, I mean, look at that. Like, do you want to look at that for 39 days? Like, where they, they were in the middle of the water. It was, like, crystal clear with, like, these giant you know, rocks coming out that are covered in, like, you know, bright green trees. I mean, hello. Uh, and did you guys notice how deep they had to go in that challenge? Yeah, yeah. that was, it was, that was, like, it was, that's hard. I mean, that's, like, deeper than any pool I've ever seen. I mean, their ears must have been popping going down there. Yeah, I think the last time we saw a, a good challenge like that was in Vanuatu, where they had another yeah. deep challenge like that. What was, that one was... They they had it go down for quite a while, and I think they ended up going about thirty feet. Yeah, I mean, I think this is this is solely attributed to, I mean, look where they were. I mean, the they were in Nicaragua, where it's like the beaches themselves were washing away. You know, they they, they haven't been in places where they could really facilitate any water challenges that weren't dangerous. Uh, Jerry Mancy said that. Um, you know, they couldn't go out in the water at all on Heroes and Villains because when they would, they would have a riptide that would suck them out right away. Yeah, I'm a big fan of water challenges. I've been wishing that they would get back to it, and I'm so glad that they actually are able to with the location and everything. Mm-hmm. Moving on, um, in honor of Patrick being on the show, I have a couple of questions. Uh, what was the best and worst strategic move of this past episode? We're going to start with Jeff. Oh, that's that's a tough one to say so quickly. Uh, I still have to say getting rid of Angie over Russell. Was the mm-hmm. best or the worst? Was the worst. Okay. What was, do I need to answer the best right now, too? Yeah. Oh, who, what was the best? Oh, jeez. Um, best strategic move this episode. Oh, gosh. Um, Pete becoming friendly with Lisa. All right, Clayton? Um, I hate to be redundant, but that's exactly, it was like it was ruining my mind. Um, yes, I think the worst by far was getting rid of Angie. There was no point in it. They're already hopelessly lost in numbers, so keep the people that will stick to you. And Russell has shown to be a complete slouch in challenges. I mean, you look in the preview for next week, you see he can barely even make it to the mat, and Denise is dragging him find him to stay on the mat. And then you have, for the best move, ugh, as much as it pains me to say it again, is Pete. I mean, textbook, someone gets ostracized, you bring them in, they owe you. So she's indebted to him. So I think it was best move for Pete, worst move, getting rid of Angie. All right, Patrick? Um, yeah, I, I would agree on the best one, Pete, who had the, like, is either him or Lisa, I think, when they, when, uh, if they lose a challenge, um, and, like, I don't know what it is, but 
had like almost every shot of him on the show, he just had this like dumbfounded look on his face. <laughs> like, like he's not aware of where he is or what's going on. But somehow he was the one who, you know, was approached. I, I, I know that him and Abby Maria, Abby had this thing going on. Um, he just did, they kind of fell into his lap and he was smart enough to, to say, okay. <laughs> uh, and it was a great move. Like he didn't ask questions. He just went along with it. And, uh, but he may have to have a few questions, but he went along with it. I think he's now kind of floating both alliances, and he stands to do better now after last time, last night's episode. Or, yeah, last night's episode. Um, worst, I maybe was going on Angie, but um, I, I kind of feel like Abby's sort of self-destructing. Like um, you can say two alliances, but when you openly do it, I I, I don't see how that ends well for you. Yeah. So, but, Probably Abby, Abby got uh, my worst strategic move of this last episode. Yeah, and uh, I'm gonna agree with all of you. The best strategic move was, you know, Pete, uh, you know, shifting the game, seeing that his, I think, recognizing that his alliance of four was breaking up, <laughs> it wasn't gonna stay. So he needed to be then in control uh, when this breakup happens. So I think he he set himself up very nice. Uh, and the worst strategic move, I think, is Abby breaking it up and just sort of, you know, destroying the the alliance and creating so just sort of two separate camps. I don't think it was the right time to do it, or maybe not the don't do it in that obvious of a way. You know, in that case, I'm going to actually change my worst strategic move and say that CBS made the worst strategic move by not including Pete in the. Three choices for player of the week. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, there's, I've, I've been, I've noticed every single week. There's someone like, why the heck are they one of the three that we're choosing from? Well, this week I'm on Abby Maria's Facebook page, and she posted a picture of it. It's Abby Maria, who arguably she found the idol, but she made a pretty dumb move. Denise, who you could argue back and forth about the merits of getting rid of Angie, and RC. Who didn't? Who uh, <laughs> yeah. was clearly riding on the backbone of week uh, of the second episode? I mean, oh, I was gonna say I think the player of of the week things are more geared towards the not so hardcore analytical fans that look at the moves. They just look at oh, someone found an idol. Denise did good it. in the challenge, so yeah, that's Denise why she was there. The challenge, you know, you know our moves were in our face the whole time. Sometimes I wish I could revert back to that Um, and and just you you live life through the other side for a while. I think being a hardcore analytical fan uh, is a bit frustrating at times because you you just just shake your head so so often. And you know what's going to happen the first five minutes. Yeah, well, this, this episode was a bit different, but usually, yeah. All right, moving on. Best and worst social move of the episode. Clayton? Oh, well, I mean, you got to hand worse social moves to Abby. I mean, socially, very bad. I mean, she, I don't, I mean, yes, she gained a little bit of trust in Pete, but he's always going to remember this girl is crazy. Look what she did to her quote-unquote best friend. Um, so I think no doubt worst. Um, best social move is a tie for me between Pinner and Pete. Pete, well, I think it was more strategic rather than social, but there is a social aspect of he gained some favor uh, socially with Lisa, 
but I think Pinner is the essence of a social move to me is because he, um, it wasn't really that he did anything or made really a move. He just chose to reveal something to come off as more honest and make himself more, well, sociable to Jeff Kennedy. So I would give it to Pinner for best social move, worst social move, Abby Maria, hands down. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you for best. I think, uh, you know, Penner was sort of branching out. This is the first time we actually saw him interacting with his tribe, I think. Every other, the past two episodes all have been about him finding the idol um, and everyone else talking. So to actually see him socializing with other people, I think that's good and, and definitely smart. And he's probably done it more, we just haven't seen it. And then worst, I have to give it actually a tie between RC and Abby. I just think their whole sort of spat on the beach thing, I think both of them were displaying very bad social skills. And I don't know, I mean, you can blame Abby for just being all standoffish, but with RC just being like, I'm just going to leave and like leaving it with the whole big tension, I think both of them did a a very poor (laughs) strategic or uh, social (laughs) communication there. Jeff, what are your thoughts? I think the best social move of the game was not Penner. I think it was actually Jeff Kent. Um, I mean, because let, let's be honest, anyone who claims that social moves and strategy moves are any, I mean, are different in any aspect or is, uh, you know, they're different in certain aspects, but to claim that social is not strategy, I think is kind of ludicrous. And so the best social strategic move was Jeff Kent, who made friends with uh, Penner, which means that when Penner uses his idol, if he uses his idol, he won't put down Jeff Kent's name, which is, I mean, kind of what Jeff would want to happen. Um, I think the worst social move was actually Russell Swan pulling the race card. I don't think that helps anyone. I don't think, uh, I think that only alienates you from your, from your fellow tribe mates. I think pulling the race card and the viewers. Yeah, and it makes you, I mean, you're not going to win the viewer favorite anymore, sorry. Was was he actually in serious consideration? Uh, yeah. Well, Jeff, I will let you know you have converted my uh, best move, best social move, uh, Jeff Kemp, because you won the debate there. Thank you. I'm a debater, so I feel proud. I know. All um, right. Yeah, no, I think, I, I think, and you know, as much as I dislike Jeff Kent uh, as a person, uh, I would like to see a guy named Jeff win. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on, Patrick. Yeah, I, the best has to go to Jeff Kent. He he definitely has an age gap, and he, uh, I think he's been in a bit of a precarious position. You know, he injured his knee. He covered that up, and. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but did, did he not share the, the knowledge about the idol with uh, Dawson and Carter? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He did? So, like, he did yeah. Well, it was, uh, he shared it before that he thought that he had the idol or that but the it was idol was missing. It wasn't. Yeah. Right, right. So I, I think he did a good job of like painting another target. He's done a good job of kind of laying low. But I think he's playing a really smart social game as good as he could hope. Um, I'm curious to see what happens when Dawson reveals his multi-millionaire background <laughs> and see how that affects him. But, yeah, I think he definitely won the prize for best social game this episode. Worse, I think, like, look, Abby is, is unpredictable and she, she's sort of a loose cannon, but if you want to win in Survivor and you ally your, you you know, make someone like that your ally, you got to manage that. And to walk away, I think, 
um, was a bad move. Like, RC should have hung in there and tried to resolve it and gotten her under control. Like, I feel like when you look at a player like Boston Rob, he got that stuff under control. And, and RC just kind of letting it go loose. And, and then you saw what happened, right? Yeah. Uh, Abby went off and made another alliance. Yeah. I think Abby was inconsolable, though. I don't think there was any fixing what was going on in her mind. I don't know. Pete seems to be able to sort of keep her calm and somewhat, you know, help her stay in control. It's interesting. Um, like, what, it had, what would have happened if R.C. had gone to Pete for help? Yeah, that would have been. But apparently from, like, I think an R.C. confessional, Pete and Abby have been very close from the beginning and maybe almost more so than her and Abby, you know. And I think that's part of the reason why R.C. showed the clue to Abby is that she realized that Pete and her were getting close, so she wanted to make sure that she was Abby's number one still. Tweedledee and Tweedledum. All right, uh, the big question, who is your pick to win? Patrick? Um, it's hard to imagine any of the returning contestants being given the prize. Um, I think there's natural bias there. And I, like, I know her stock flip, but I, I still like R.C., like, she had a really great first week. I don't know, R.C. or Carter. Uh, right now, I mean, R.C. is playing the best game, uh, I think, so. All right, Jeff? Okay, I can't, oh, wait, wait, oh, wait, wait, I take it back. Okay. Take it back. <laughs> I like Malcolm. He's the archetype survivor player. He has an awesome alliance with Denise. He's playing super smart. Um, yeah, I'll take Malcolm. All right, Jeff? Oh, man, this is so hard because every single person I can make arguments for why they should and why they shouldn't win with maybe a few exceptions. So I've got, you know, there's 15 people left in the game, and I could probably argue 13 of them both why they should and shouldn't win. Oh, man, that's so hard. From base, I think the person playing the most well-rounded game from a social, strategic, and physical standpoint, oh, man, I'm gonna... Oh, I, I never in my life thought this would happen, but, I, I mean, I'm gonna say it, and I'm gonna regret it right away because you're gonna publish it, and it's going to go up forever, and then I'm going to look like a fool. But I'm going to say Pete. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, I can't believe It's going to be either Fabio. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Clayton? Okay. I don't. It, it seems like it, it would be bleak because of positioning where there's only three of them left, and then presumably if Russell leaves, then they're down to two. But... I really, the person that I think is playing the most well-rounded game is hands down Denise. I think while we only we only see her really with her and Malcolm, it seems like from the get-go, like we we saw Denise, we saw her um, showing that you know she took the time with Zane. You know what I mean? She noticed the little things, and I think in Survivor it's the subtle little things that matter. So you know her edit, you know she's a physical beast. Um, She's very likable, and she's part of a strategic powerhouse. I, I like Denise's chances. So if I had to put money on anyone last week, I would have said scooping. This week, no. I wouldn't be willing to put my money on him, but I would still be willing to put my money on Denise. Yeah. Stranger things have happened. Well, and I, I think mine's pretty obvious. Uh, I think Katie's going to win, and... Uh... <laughs> No, the dog uh, that didn't bark the entire season is what we call it. No, I actually, I, I honestly was going to agree with Clayton. My first thought was Denise. I think she is playing a good game, and I think if it gets 
to a merge situation and somehow her and Malcolm do have power, Malcolm's going to be the person who gets the heat and she's going to be the person who I think people will like more and if they're sitting at the end, people will vote for her. So I, I think she's playing a really good game, so I'm going with Denise as well. Yeah, I, I, I think you guys are smart in saying Denise. The only reason I didn't pick her was because of the obvious numbers disadvantage. Yeah, yeah um, that was... I was wary of that, but I mean, look at it this way. They're probably going to go and merge with two or three people. I, 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 I could see them losing again, or Russell really not being a factor with them. So they're going to go into a merge with presumably one tribe of five, maybe one tribe of six, or both tribes of six if they merge early, or both tribes of five and merge of 12. They're going to be usable. People are going to use them as a vote. They're not going to get rid of the people that are only two people. They're going to try to take out, you know, the other big honchos that still have five. So I think they're going to skate for a I, I thought about that. I, I think that's a valid thought, but I just can't see a situation in which Mark Burnett is going to let it go straight from three tribes to one. I think we're going to absorb into two tribes easily. I think we're going to do that because of returnees. They wouldn't want to screw the returnees' stability. Well, we had two different listeners give us topics that they wanted us to discuss, so we're going to discuss those really quick. Number one... Was R.C. named after the cola? Jeff, what are your thoughts on this very hard-pressing issue? Um, you know, that's, that's interesting. I'm actually going to gonna look them up on uh, Wikipedia. I, I, they, they were felt, formed now, I, I have it up here, in 1905. Um, so the answer is clearly no, because <laughs> uh, obviously she was, she was uh, born before then. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not an R.C. fan, if you can't tell. Was she named after the cola? I think it's it's uh, no because her name is Roberta Christensen or something yeah. like that. So I'm gonna say no. Uh, Clayton, yes or no? Um, that was gonna be my answer. Her name is like Roberta Christina Armoire, some <laughs> crazy sounding like French name. So I'd say no. And you, know, everyone, you all know how I feel about the French. So. <laughs> all right, Patrick. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go with the rest of the folks. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to say that it wasn't the reason why she was named it, but I think they probably enjoyed it with the nickname, and that was one of the reasons why they chose RC as opposed to just Roberta. It's definitely, it is a hard-pressing question, I hope that uh, Mark Burnett will, um, (laughs) will resolve it by the end of the season. Yeah, I hope so too. All right. You know, when you watch the show in your living room, you can think whatever you want, whatever makes you happy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right, uh, the other listener question, why is everyone else on Tandang letting RC and Abby divide the tribe based on unnecessary drama? Anyone want to answer that one? Because it benefits them. <laughs> At least it benefits Pete and it benefits Lisa. I don't think it would benefit, I don't think it benefits Scoopin, but... I honestly don't think Scoopin is that aware as I thought he was. And I don't think it hurts Artis either. Oh, yeah, I forget about Artis. Yeah, I don't think it hurts Artis either. I think that's really the root of it is that it just doesn't hurt them. It breaks up a twosome. Yeah. If you, go, if you watch, like, the preseason interviews, the Meet the Cast interviews, um, like, the majority of the cast all want to have, like, an under-the-radar strategy. They all want to lay low kind of sneak into the end and then suddenly come up, come from behind and win the game. Um, I, I think it's a terrible strategy. Um, 
even, you know, Pinner called it as being a terrible strategy, I think is right. But, you know, we've seen this a lot recently in the last, you know, five, six, seven seasons. The majority of the cast is just trying to lay low and get through to the mid-game. They're trying to pull a Fabio. I think, like, half the people mentioned Fabio in their, you know, pre-interviews. Which made me think the season was going to suck, but I think it's good so far. It's also, you know, it's just Sandra. There's some successes, but I don't don't think by and large it's actually a successful strategy. Well, no, you look at... uh... You look at last season with Kim. Obviously, she didn't play under the radar. Um, Sophie's arguable either way. Uh, Boston, she was edited under the radar. Yeah. Uh, Boston Rob clearly was not. So, I mean, I, I I don't think it's like the majority of people that win are under the radar. I don't think that's the case. All right. So, those are all of our roundtable questions. Uh, thank you guys for giving your opinions on those. Before we let you go, we're going to play a game. This game is called Under Over. Basically, what it is is I will ask a question and throw out a number. Your goal is to predict if you think the correct answer is over the number I give you or more or under the number I give you or less. So, half of these will be uh, survivor related and the other half are just going to be random things. <laughs> so I'll ask a question, throw out a number, I'll go to you, say over or under, and then I will tell you the answer. Everyone keeps score of your own points. Is everyone ready? Yeah. Okay. First question is, is the number of different male contestants on Survivor over or under 178? So has there been... More than 178 male contestants on Survivor, uh, in that case you would say over, or if you think there has been less than 178, you would say under. So we're going to start with Jeff, over or under? How are you counting uh, returning players? Different male contestants, the number of different male contestants. Oh, jeez. Um, so if they're the same, that... Yeah, what, 178? Yeah. I'm going to say Over. You're going to say over, so there's more. All right, Clayton? There's more than 178, yes. Um, I feel like 178 is, like, right on the dot. I'm going to say under because I don't think we've hit the 400 threshold yet. I think there were, I think there's 300-something right now, so I'll say under. All right, Patrick? Yeah, if you, let's say you average, like, six male contestants per season, you know, that are unique on average. You have 25 seasons. Uh, I'll take the under... All right, so we have two unders and an over. The correct answer is over. There are a hundred, a oh. hundred and eighty-two. So four more. A hundred and eighty-two. Wow. I knew it was really close. Yeah, there are definitely a lot more different female contestants because they keep bringing back only male returnees. All right, so Jeff has one point. Uh, everyone else is at zero. We go to the oh, next that's question. Oh, not fair. He's a host. <laughs> Should should we give him a penalty? Yes. <laughs> he well, starts you with challengers. You gotta beat the host if you want to earn your your street cred. Jeff, you're like the returning player. You clear. <laughs> hey, you know what? If Mark Burnett thinks it's a fair fight. It's the Iron Chef of the of the Survivor blogging world. Exactly. <laughs> I like it. All right, here we go. Uh, question number two. Is the average weight of spider eggs humans inadvertently ingest each year while sleeping under or over eight ounces? Do we what? do we inadvertently ingest 
<laughs> more than eight ounces of spider eggs or less than eight ounces of spider eggs in a, in a year over. all right clayton you're saying over yes patrick i just out of it's got to be under only out of deny i just need to deny that this is a fact all right jeff well i know you ingest x number of spiders i've never heard spider eggs but eight ounces is a. I'm gonna get. I have to say under. I can't imagine it's eight half a pound. That's, oh God, under, under, under. All right, under. so we have two unders and one over. The correct answer is over. Yes. Oh my God. All right, not to scare you, but the average uh, human inadvertently ingests 19 ounces of spider eggs every year. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, because every you take. How many spider eggs does that have in it? <laughs> All right. How do they, they test for this stuff? Um, <laughs> I get the facts from a reliable awesome. source, but I don't. I don't know their process of research. Oh my God. All right. Uh, now, so moving on, so we don't have nightmares. All right. One point, me, Jeff. Zero point, Patrick. Yeah, Patrick can make it up here, though. All right. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm holding back. I'm, yeah. Under the radar right now. <laughs> That's the best way to win, right? All right. Yeah, that way to work. It's the number of individual immunity challenge wins by all of the winners of Survivor under or over 48. So if you take all the winners of Survivor and each one of them, how many individual immunity challenges they won, and you add them all together, is it under or over 48 immunity wins? I will say under. All right, Patrick? Under. Jeff? My instinct is under, but if I think about just a couple of them, like Fabio and Kelly who hold a lot of that weight, I'm going to have to say over. All right, so two unders, one over. The correct answer is under. Yes. It's 45 uh, individual immunity challenges that all the winners have won collectively, so it's under 48. All right, so now Clayton with two, Patrick and Jeff both with one. Patrick has moved up to second place. Is the number of people a poison arrows frog's poison could kill over or under 300? So the amount of poison in a poison frog, could that kill over or under 300 people? We're going to start with Patrick. Last time I killed uh, 320, so over. All right, Jeff? I, I, I would think over. I, I have no rationale, but over. Clayton? I'll go over for the sake of consistency. All right, the correct answer is over. One poison arrow's frog's poison can kill 2,000 people on average. So don't be playing with a poison arrow frog. <laughs> Especially with your 1,900 friends. <laughs> yes. 1,900, 999 friends. Or if you want to play a really fun game of Russian roulette, play with your 2,000 friends. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So at the end of that question, Clayton with three, Jeff and Patrick with two, anyone's game. As we move on to question five. How Is, many questions are there here? There's seven. All right, question number five. Is the number of votes against Ozzy in all three of his seasons over or under 25? We'll start with uh, Jeff. Oh, over. 
You're going to say over, Clayton? I'm going to say under. I'm going with under. All right. Patrick? Does this count his votes to win? No. It doesn't count Yule's votes to win as a vote against no, us? No, no. Okay, just making sure. Yep. Patrick? Oh, man, he's played a lot. Um, but that's a whole lot of votes. I'm going to take the under. All right, so two under 25, one over. The correct answer is over. He has received 27 votes against him, and almost all of them were from Survivor South Pacific when he got voted out three times. Um, He actually got very, very few votes. It was like one or two. I I think it was one in Cook Islands, and then he got like... I'm pretty sure it was two in Cook Islands because uh, either Cecilia or Christina voted for him. Yeah, so it was one or two in, in Cook Islands. Uh, I did the math earlier, and then it was like four or five, and and ah. it was the, only the people who voted him out in that one. You know, when he got blindsided in Micronesia, and all the other ones were in South Pacific. All right, that was the biggest fail of all in South Pacific. <laughs> okay, so me, Jeff, tied. Yes, Jeff and Clayton are tied with uh, three. three. And then Patrick has two. Two questions left. All right. Question number six. Is the amount of Thomas Jefferson's salary as president over or under $40,000? Clayton? Oh, my God. Over or under $40,000? Yep. I say under. Under. All right, Patrick? Uh, That seems like a lot for for Thomas Jefferson. I'd say it's under. Jeff? Is that inflation-adjusted? No, this would be his salary. His salary in his day, it's got to be under. All right, so you all say under. You all are correct. It was $25,000. That's uh, a lot for back then, so. So yeah, sure. uh, Clayton and Jeff both have four. Patrick with three. One, one question left. I don't have a tiebreaker, so we could end in a tie. Is the number of votes against all people named Kelly on Survivor under or over 24? Can you repeat that? Yes. Is the number of votes against all people named Kelly uh, who were on Survivor under or over 24? Jeez, 24. That's a lot. Well, you have to remember how many people were named Kelly uh, in Survivor history. I'm going to say over 24. All right, Clayton? I am, for the sake of deciding a winner here, I'm going to say under, and my rationale is because Kelly Wigglesworth never got voted out. Um, Kelly Shin did not have votes against her. She might have had a couple along the way, but she did not receive votes against her when she got voted out because she quit. And then, so that leaves Kelly Bruno. So I'm just going to say under. All right, Patrick? So I think got just over that number of like three full seasons worth of play, um, and then three individuals. I'm gonna go under. It's a lot of votes. All right, two unders, one over. The correct answer is under. Ah. Uh, it was only 20 votes. There are actually six Kellys that have played the game. Two, wow. two of them, as Clayton mentioned, did not receive any votes. Kelly Wigglesworth and Purple Kelly, but you had Kelly Bruno, you had Kelly from Africa, you had oh, Kelly from Samoa, you had and you had Kelly from uh, Gabon. Oh, Kelly Zarnick. Yes. Zarnicky. 
Yeah. We can spend yeah, yeah. a whole co- podcast trying to pronounce that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, so since I won, does that mean I get to take Jeff's job? <laughs> you have to work that out with Jeff. <laughs> we're gonna have to, David, we're going to have to keep like an Iron Chef type record here. Okay. I feel like I should be winning more than I am. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first time we played. <laughs> right. And I feel cheated. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I think the final score then is Clayton with five, and uh, Jeff and Patrick both with four. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So, I think Clayton needs his own podcast. He doesn't need. He doesn't need someone else's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thank you guys so much. This was a lot of fun. It was great to hear your guys' opinions on the show, and it was fun playing this game with you guys. Uh, so I really appreciate you guys coming on and talking with us. Is there anything either of you two want to uh, plug or promote before we leave? Uh, do you want to say the uh, website for your pot blog again? Yeah, sure. So survivorproblog.com and on Twitter at, sur- at survivorproblog. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, it's been really fun. And uh, I can't wait to see how the season wraps up. Yeah. Clayton, anything to plug? Um, well, I guess I'll, I don't have really have much to plug, but I will say uh, follow uh, Hair of Malcolm, and Malcolm has is M A L C O L M, not M A L C O M. So just follow that on Twitter for some uh, Malcolm themed tweets, and occasionally retweets and tweets from him and Angie and Abby and all those that crew. So that's about it, though. Awesome. Well, once I enjoy being on here. Yeah, thank you guys both again so much. Um, we'll definitely have to have you guys both on again sometime. Um, and, yeah, it will definitely be interesting to see where this season goes from here. All right, cheers. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. bye, guys. All right, so that was our Survivor Roundtable with Patrick and Clayton. It's always great to have Clayton back on the show. Uh, he's always a, a great guest with lots of uh, wonderful opinions. So I'm, I'm curious always to hear where he sort of, his head is at during each of the episodes. And I thought Patrick was great. Certainly check out his blog, survivorproblog.com. It's, uh, he's, he has a really great uh, analytical mind. And really, you know, he's uh, his whole job is dissecting video games, and he's really taking that approach into the game of Survivor, which I find really cool. And it's a different blog. I mean, like he said, you have so many recap blogs that are just telling you what happened. And for us sort of more hardcore Survivor fans, it's always good to get other angles and aspects of it. No, I, I definitely agree. I enjoyed having both of them on. And um, I, I mean, Patrick's mind was uh, analytical and, and wonderful to have on the show. And as you said, Clayton always tells it like it is. He's got a, uh, a lot of opinions and he's not afraid to tell them, which is always great to have on the show. Yeah. So uh, with that, do you have uh, anything else, Jeff? Well, next week we are going to have uh, Jill, Dr. Jill Bem, on the podcast from Survivor Nicaragua, who was actually one of my early favorites to win on that show. So it'll be interesting to talk to her and see uh, see where where how her game worked and how where it went uh, where it went wrong and uh, talk to her a little bit about the show and also about episode four of Survivor Philippines. Yeah, it's always great to uh, hear former survivors and add another uh, Survivor Nicaragua person onto our, our list of uh, podcast guests. Yeah, it should be fun. 
Well, be sure to check us out on our website, SurvivorPodcast.blogspot.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us how awful or great you think the podcast is, ways to improve. Um, you can also check us out on Facebook, David and Jeff's uh, Survivor Podcast. Yeah, and uh, leave, leave a question. You heard some viewer questions tonight. Those are all uh, submitted from via our Facebook group, so we'll always uh, – be interested in seeing what what you want to be asked, and if you have a question for Doctor Jill, please uh, please don't hesitate to, to throw it on the throw it on the Facebook page, and we'll try to fit it in and ask it. And we're also on iTunes. Just one more way, David and Jeff Survivor Podcast. You can uh, subscribe to us there. If you have a handy dandy iPhone, you can get the podcast app and uh, put it on your phone and have us right there. So when you click on the app. We're right up there, and our wonderful faces are smiling at you. Right, and I think, I mean, no one's day is complete without just whipping open their iPhone and uh, and listening to some David and Jeff. I mean, you just, you need us wherever you go. Yeah, well, if you're exercising, what better time than to listen to us? Or right. uh, if you're doing homework and don't want to actually be that focused, listen to the podcast. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of different ways you can do it. So, uh, yeah. Get connected. We love to talk with you guys. Uh, we had a poll on this past week on our Facebook group, which Survivor contestant deserves a cookie the most. Um, I think Angie won that poll. <laughs> well, she did ask for it. So. Yes, yes. <laughs> I was uh, I was rooting for Katie because hopefully if we gave her a cookie, she would actually be seen on the show. Uh, maybe. It's an interesting thought. But... Maybe maybe this poll will become a weekly thing now. We'll have to come up with something for this week. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so stay connected. Uh, join our Facebook group. We love to uh, to talk with you. You got anything else, Jeff? I think I'm good, David. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>